Attention customers, Brand X, the No Frills podcast, will begin in just a few moments. This is a reminder that this podcast may contain spoilers. Consider yourself warned. Thank you. Welcome to Brand X, the no frills, no gimmick movie podcast. Uh, this is the inaugural episode of Brand X. Uh, I'd like to welcome you. My name is Scott. And I'm Aaron. Uh, I guess we should point out a, well, not point, I guess we should say a few things about the podcast. Um, there's nothing overly special about either of us in terms of uh, fame, wouldn't you say, Aaron? We have no idea what we're doing. No, no, we, we're completely <laughs> clueless at this point. I'm a guy living somewhere uh, in the Middle East. Uh, Aaron lives somewhere along the uh, east coast of America. Yeah, I live in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> You're more willing to give up your uh, your position. That's fine, that's fine. I am somewhere in the Middle East. And um, I guess maybe we should say a few things about why we're doing this. Sure. I, I enjoy watching movies for the sake of... Uh seeing the the art form sort of and appreciating it and trying to learn more about what they do i once tried to once thought i could make movies but when i went to college for that it didn't really work out real well so i went into other stuff but i still like watching movies aaron tell us more about your experience making a movie what what made you realize that you don't want to do it uh let's see i went to new york film academy like a long time ago and i made three short films there and that was kind of fun it was interesting to learn about how to place lights and how to frame shots and um, talking to my, my would-be actors, which were really just other film students. But it turned out I liked watching movies more than I enjoyed making them. I was just going to say that I had the exact same experience. Yeah, it's, it's hard. When I was young, I didn't know how to separate those two things. I figured, well, I like watching movies. I'll probably like making them, but that's not really the case. No. We should we should mention that uh, Aaron and I met uh, around 2003 in Chicago. We were both going to Columbia College there. We were both working on the newspaper. That's where I had my experience. I had a roommate at the time in the dorms who was in the film department, and uh, he was making his semester project. And I mean, he was a decent sort of guy, but he was the laziest man in the world <laughs> at times, and he. Uh, he basically, you know, had someone living in the room next to him, and so he said, "Hey, let's. I'm going to write a film, and you're going to be <laughs> in it." And so it was just like, "Oh, okay." And uh, it was not. I mean, it was a fine experience, but I mean, like, it wasn't. We weren't making art, and yeah, yeah. I got the the pleasure of acting in a couple of of my friends' uh, short films. That was that was kind. Of, that was pretty fun, I guess. I don't know. Never wanted to be an actor, but it was fun doing it for my buddies. So here we are, 10 years later, we're still friends, uh, we're still in contact, and we decided that everybody and their brother has a podcast, and they've got opinions, and our opinions are just as valid and loudmouthed as anyone else's, right. so <laughs> we're going we're, we're gonna to foist our opinions on the world in the same way. So, I don't know. If you're here, thanks for listening. Uh, like we said, this is a no frills podcast. We have no celebrity endorsement. Don't expect any celebrities. Don't expect 
any gimmicky kind of stuff. We're just two guys who kind of like to talk about the movies we watch. Yeah, we have no idea what we're talking about. Well, I have no idea what I'm talking about. And I have no idea what I'm talking about, but that's okay. <laughs> we're, we're allowed to have opinions, so we're about to foist our opinions on you. Right. Sorry if you chose to sit through this. There could be some salty language in this podcast, and obviously if we're going to talk about a movie in depth. There's going to be spoilers. So unless you really don't care, don't listen to this unless you've seen the movie we're going to watch. Mm-hmm. Or, sorry, the movie that we're going to talk about. And what are we going to talk about, Aaron? Uh, the movie this time around is Big Trouble in Little China. We tried to pick one we had never, neither one of us had seen before. I guess you had seen like the beginning of it, but not all of it. I'd watched... 10 minutes of it a long time ago and nothing since then. And that's and that's another thing. We're going to try and pick stuff on this podcast that neither of us have seen. One of the things you can do is wait and see how many podcasts that lasts. <laughs> we both watch a lot of stuff, so at some point we're probably just going to end up throwing our hands up and saying, "Yeah, <laughs> both have seen this. Yeah, too bad. This is happening. Yeah, this is happening. If you're on board, great. <laughs> Not, sorry. This is Jack Burton in the Pork Chop Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. It's a pretty amazing planet we live on here, and a man would have to be some kind of fool to think we're all alone in this universe. Jack Burton's coming to rescue your summer. Hey, what more can a guy ask for? 20th Century Fox presents Kurt Russell in John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. On the reflexes. So, let's see. Big Trouble in Little China was made in 1986, which uh, made me expect to get a lot of good one-liners, and I don't think I was that disappointed. What, what I didn't expect was all the supernatural stuff. I had no idea any of that stuff was in there. Yeah, this was the... Uh, this is actually the uh, fourth collaboration between John Carpenter and and Kurt Russell. Uh, the first one being Elvis, of all things. Have you ever seen Elvis? No. Yeah, John Carpenter in in the 70s, I believe it was 1975, or no, it wasn't after 75, it was right after Halloween. Um, John Carpenter directed a TV version of, of the, the story of Elvis, and guess who was playing Elvis? Can you take a guess? Kurt Russell, I suppose. That's right. Kurt Russell played <laughs> Elvis. And from what I remember, my dad uh, made make me. My dad showed it to me when I was in high school. And uh, if I remember correctly, it was pretty good. But were there monsters? No, there were no. No, there were no monsters, but there was one scene right at the beginning that you may actually know without knowing that it's from Elvis. Uh-huh. What was it? You're a Simpsons fan, right, Aaron? Uh, not so much. I've watched some of it. The the thing about uh, the Elvis movie, it starts off, um, I believe Elvis, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, they're getting ready for his uh, comeback. There's a TV special about whether or not Elvis's comeback is going to be any good, and he ends up shooting the TV. <laughs> well, that does sound familiar, yeah. And so that was the first time that uh, Kurt and John Carpenter worked together. Uh, the second and third and fourth were uh, Escape from New York, uh, The Thing... And uh, Big Trouble in Little China. And I think they would only collaborate once more, which was uh, Escape from L.A., which is, for all intents and purposes, a remake of Escape from New York. Yeah, I do remember watching The Thing probably a couple of years ago for the first time. 
and you know but mostly i don't really enjoy horror movies but watching super old horror movies is a lot of fun because you can see right through all the special effects you can see the hand puppetry and the reverse shots they do so that i had a blast with that that's right and the 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 thing john carpenter's the thing is in my top 10 favorite movies of all time and uh, if Escape from New York is not in there as well, then it's in my top 20 of all time. There's a lot of I'm – I'm, I'm admittedly a John Carpenter fan. I really like his early work. I think he's a very talented director. He's kind of a – when he's really good, he's kind of a poor man's Alfred Hitchcock. I mean, that's what everybody called him for Halloween, and, and I agree with that. To jump into this, my problem is is that I kind of look at – after having seen Big Trouble in Little China – it was pretty much the point in his career that I hadn't seen, and as far as I'm concerned, it's the moment in the 80s when his work starts going downhill. Because the movies that he directed after this were Prince of Darkness, They Live, mm -hmm. Memoirs of Invisible Man, In the Mouth of Madness, and Village of the Damned, culminating with Escape from L.A. in 1996. Now, I know those movies have their fans and all that, and a lot of people love They Live, and there's a lot to love about They Live. Have you seen They Live, Aaron? No, but is that about the giant ants? No, no, that's them. Good good guess, though. <laughs> um, they Live is actually, it actually stars professional wrestler Rowdy Roddy Piper. Nice. Sounds good already. That's right, he's oh. a nameless drift. You remember this? Wait, have you seen no, this? No, I haven't seen it, but they, uh, so... This has an amazing fight scene in it, right? I've seen like that fight scene on YouTube. That's right, the amazing endless fight scene. Yeah, they keep putting the sunglasses on and knocking them off again. That's right. The the sunglasses are these glasses that allow people to see that a huge chunk of the population of Earth, especially the rich people, are actually disgusting-looking aliens <laughs> who are basically forcing us to to consume media and consume fast food making us stupid and and enslavable uh-huh and there's a lot to like about that movie but it really isn't the greatest i mean from the guy who made escape from new york and halloween they live is is not the world's greatest follow-up to that kind of, and especially right after uh pulling off starman which uh is not a horror movie it's actually a drama with a, a little bit of sci-fi elements in it. Um, Jeff Bridges plays an alien who uh, comes to Earth and basically learns about humanity. It's a, it's actually a really uh, lovely and touching movie. Yeah, that does sound familiar. And then he he follows that up with a string of these uh, um, apocalypse movies that, as you go on, they just kind of kind of lower lower the bar each time around for quality. So for me, I, I as soon as I finished Big Trouble in Little China, I finally understood that this was the moment when Carpenter's career kind of turned the corner and started going down to the basement. Do you think he, he, he stopped trying? or? I think, I don't think he stopped trying. The more that I looked into this, well, first of all, let's, let's just recap what this is about. And and if you want to go ahead and do that, Aaron, I would be very grateful because I watched this twice because the plot moved so fast <laughs> I could not really keep up at times. All right, so let's see. From what I remember, it's like it's a it's a sort of a weird, unlikely friendship buddy movie. So it's Kurt Russell as Jack Burton, and I think his friend uh, played by 
played by Dennis Dunn, is Wang Chi. So Kurt Russell is this truck driver. He's just going about his life doing truck drivery things. And he likes to go gambling in Chinatown. Um, so the movie starts with him gambling with his friend Wang Chi. And Wang Chi gets into a whole lot of debt. And then it ends up with Wang Chi's girlfriend getting kidnapped from an airport which I think is a case of mistaken identity, but they keep her anyway. And then it turns into a whole supernatural, like, gotta get the girl back movie based in the in in the heart of San Francisco Chinatown. Okay. Is that, does that sound reasonable? That's a reasonable uh, facsimile of what's going on in this movie. And I'm glad you pointed out a couple of things that we'll probably come back to, but the first thing I want to I wanna kind of discuss is... Um, Kurt Russell's character is not the world's most likable. Actually, actually, no. actually, let me go. Let me go back. What I was gonna say. What I was, what I was gonna say is, I don't think this is the with this movie. He he starts. John Carpenter stopped trying. What I think what happened with this movie is is that he overexerted himself. Because as good as some of the set pieces are in this movie, this movie doesn't. And they are they are amazing. They are some of these set pieces are really good. And I know you mentioned uh, previously that you really liked the practical effects, and you know that I'm a big fan of practical special effects. What I I just think that John Carpenter kind of overexerted himself, and he didn't really know what this movie wanted to be. Because if you go and list, if you read up on it, they wanted to. From what I understand, they were try they were going to make this movie, and then they found out that Eddie Murphy was going to do a movie that had mystical Chinese elements to it. And so they suddenly decided that they had to get this thing off the ground and into theaters before his did. Right, and throw in comedy. And from what I understand, too, this entire script was supposed to be originally set in the Wild West. Wow. And the, the whole thing was rewritten and uh, turned into a modern era, which I think bears the reason why the writing credit says that this was adapted from a completely different script. So Kurt Russell was, he was not only the main character, he was the comic relief in the movie. Right. Which was a really weird combination. There's a uh, there's an interview on there where Kurt Russell says that his character is a sidekick and thinks he's a hero. <laughs> yeah, he totally is. That's, that's very true. The but hero I mean, is Wang Chi. That's right. And Wang Chi is not very likable. And neither is Kurt Russell. No. The first thing we see is is Wang Chi losing a lot of money and pulling a meat cleaver out. Right. The best you can say about it is that he like walked away with a smile. Right. And he's still trying to weasel his way out of paying the paying the bill. Exactly. And Kurt Russell is an overbearing jackass who who not only lets him know that he beat him, but also brings race into it too when he basically says, You know, I thought you know, we were friends, our race notwithstanding. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't catch that part. Yeah, well, I'm not, I'm paraphrasing here. Is this gonna get ugly now? Huh? I hope not, because I thought what we were here, racial differences notwithstanding, was just a couple of old friends, you know, just both of us Californians. Ah, oh, shit, Wang, it's only a game. <laughs> so right off the bat, I'm sitting here thinking like, this is the worst premise for a buddy movie. I know that a lot of buddy movies start off with two guys who don't like each other end up becoming friends, but this buddy movie has me not liking either of those guys. Right. And that the thing with the bottle too, like he pulls out so they the gambling thing he like loses 
a ton of money to Kurt Russell, right? And he says, all right, double or nothing if I can cut this bottle in half with this meat cleaver. And he pulls out the meat cleaver in such a way like he's going to bury it in Kurt Russell's skull. Yeah, I was expecting a that to turn into a fight instead of like a ha-ha moment. So then he tries to hit the bottle, and nothing happens. The bottle like flies at Kurt Russell. Um, oh, okay, so I guess... So they never pay off that he can cut a bottle in half. Like, that never comes back into them. I thought that was going to be a great thing, like... Like, Kurt Russell will hold the top of the bottle, and the bottom will just fall off, you know? Right. But they never pay that off later in the movie. The only thing they pay off is that Kurt Russell has good reflexes. And it's it's such an important... Well, it's not such an important, but it's it's telegraphed in such a way, like, here's a big thing that's going to happen. Pay attention right now. Right. And then it never comes back. Yeah. He even says, oh, normally that works. It's like, what do you... Well, let's see it work. I want to see that work. Right. Well, no, it's like it's like we don't see it work now. We're obviously going to see it work later, right? No. <laughs> we don't get any of that. So I guess what I was saying before is, so like you said, we've got aspects of a buddy movie. We've got a Wild West script that's now put into a modern setting with with kind of Wild West aspects retained. I mean, because, you know, there's a lot of, you know, the lone gunfighter going into town, going into the brothel and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Kim Cattrall, who looks like she's been plucked out of a ripoff of Chinatown. She actually, she she looked like um, the reporter from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, she looked like April O'Neil. April, yeah. That's what I thought. She, she looked like that character. And what was she? Was she a reporter? I have no, she, she wasn't a reporter. She had a reporter friend. They don't really, if I remember, I mean, again, I watched this twice, and I'm if I'm not able to recall all this... That's a big problem, but she's there basically as a Basil Exposition. What's a what's what's that? Basil Exposition was. Uh, he, do you remember Austin Powers? Yeah. They called him Basil Exposition. He worked at he worked at British Intelligence, and they call him that because he effectively provides all the exposition for the story. Right. <laughs> Everything you need to know about the story before we get going. Yeah. Kim Cattrall shows up at the airport, and throughout the movie, she's simply there really to provide background on what's happening in the plot. Right. And meanwhile, Dennis Dunn's family and friends are there to talk about uh, Chinese mysticism and Chinese gangs. And she happens to be an expert in both. Exactly. For no apparent reason. (laughs) She has no job. Right. She just kind of shows up everywhere, and uh, they draft... Kurt Russell's character pretty quickly. I mean, he puts on those stupid glasses and goes into the the bordello fairly quickly. I mean, he's on one minute he's on the phone complaining that he doesn't want to have anything to do with these people, and then all of a sudden he's you know one of the gang. Right. He's got a wait. This is after the kidnapping, right? Yeah. This is after the kidnapping and after the crazy crap that goes down in the world's largest alley in uh, Chinatown in San Francisco. <laughs> I liked that scene. That was like a, there was like a weird long take where they kept pulling the camera around each, each corner. They kept pulling the ca- They kept dropping like, it's like a kid who has a whole set of action figures and it starts off as, you know, uh, his Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader action figure. And then Captain Kirk shows up and then Dr. Who shows up and then uh, action man shows up. We're moving too far ahead. Cause I want to, I want to talk about the airport thing first. 
maybe you can tell me what the hell happened in the airport. I because they right. were like I I, I don't know. And here's here's what I think because <laughs> he's uh, uh, Dennis Dunn is there to meet his bride, right? Right, and they're punks that Kim Cattrall recognizes immediately as Chinatown punks. Right, she recognizes them as a specific gang. She's there to meet someone else. Right, she's she's there. Um, right, she. Oh, that like refugee, the the woman with green eyes, right? Right. Who didn't look Chinese very much to me, but <laughs> I guess she was. So, so, so there, she's there to pick up this woman, and the gangs are the gangs there to pick up someone. I assume they're there to pick up the <laughs> refugee, right? They were just going to take whoever they got first. Right. So they just decide, well, we're going to pick up whoever we're going to pick up, and they pick up uh, Wang Chi's uh, new wife. Right. I love that. They're just like, they're, they're like, okay, this green-eyed girl is part of the whole prophecy thing, right? So they send three punks to the airport to, like, kidnap her, and that's it. And they don't even don't even get it right. <laughs> they're like, well... They're just there to, to kidnap anyone. I mean, it's one thing where they're saying, like, hey, we know this specific person is coming here. We're going to go pick mm -hmm. her up. Uh, they get there and there's multiple people there, you know, two green eyed girls, you know, what, you know, what are right. the odds? And they pick, they, they take the wrong one. Right. Our immortal, immortal master is commanding us with a, you know, a sacred task. Oh, we got this girl. Let's just take her. Yeah. She's just there. <laughs> she, you know, one's as good as the other, right? Right. Ma master's not going to care. So, okay. So they just, all right. That's, that's what I couldn't figure out is who they were really after. Cause they seem pretty happy with just, uh, Dennis Dunn's wife right they just grabbed her and they were fine with that and so and that brings us to what we were talking about before this huge elaborate set piece in the first 15 minutes of the movie right he, he drives his truck down the alley it interrupts a funeral procession and it turns into the biggest gang war clusterfuck that you could ever find in yeah that was very weird um like it was a real mix of weaponry and and all the while, our hero, or heroes, depending on your point of view, are sitting in the cab of the <laughs> truck, watching and commentating like it's a football. That game. invulnerable truck that doesn't take one single bullet, even though it's getting like shot all around. It's magically, there's no bullet holes. Uh, they don't. They don't actually like have to duck. They don't take. They don't take a bullet in the windshield no. <laughs> or anything like that. There's there's no danger. They could have probably stayed in there. Yep. Would have been immune to uh, all the supernatural stuff too. And then they they decide to get out, and that's when they uh, meet up with the supernatural guys, and that's when they lose Kurt Russell's truck. Right. Which is what he's after for the rest of the movie, basically, is my truck. Oh right, even though he has insurance, like he said, right. I have insurance or whatever. I have insurance, but then they show him on the phone, basically saying like, "Well, my car, my truck disappeared." Oh yeah, that's right. And the insurance people don't like that, or something. First of all, if you're if you're trying to get insurance, you tell them my truck was stolen. That's why I don't know where it is. <laughs> right. Yeah, and that's well, what happened. No, he wasn't there just for the truck. I mean, he first went down that alley to get Wang Chi's wife back to help Wang Chi. So he was still there for that even after his truck was taken. Now, the truck just made it personal. 
I love this, Aaron. You're you're trying to pull <laughs> pull much more out of this than I think is actually there. I love it. I think it's a very uh, noble noble cause. I think it speaks to yeah. the the human condition of wanting to help our fellow brothers. Exactly. Yeah. Even even if they're a different race. Okay. Oh. <laughs> wow. Wow. So then we we move on to the scene in the bordello. I mean, after there's a huge chunk of exposition with Wang Chi's family. Yeah. Uh, and Kim Cattrall shows up again conveniently, and like I said, Kurt Russell basically jumps into this plan with a set of stupid horn rim glasses. Oh right. Putting on an act. Yeah. This is that whole scene building up to that is basically Kim Cattrall showing up and basically talking us through a huge chunk of plot which I think could have been better done by showing us rather than telling us. Okay. You know what I mean? She shows up and she gives us the lowdown on everything we need to know. And that's true at a fevered pitch. She's it's like one right after another. From there the movie just becomes a blur of basically action adventure set pieces some of it underwater some of it with a very old man in ghastly prosthetics and the movie for me just basically kind of it's almost like somebody (laughs) wiped a bunch of oil on the lens and now everything's like murky and i can't really tell anymore Hmm. i guess i just got caught up in the excitement of it because i i I didn't find it very boring i know earlier you said it was kind of like dragging along well, I guess that's the thing. I mean, they always talk about the, the structure of action movies, and to a certain extent, that that structure comes out of adventure movies, which is what this is. Mm-hmm. It's an adventure movie, not necessarily an action movie. You have a beat, like every ten pages. You have a something big happens, and then there's a little bit of a break, and then something big happens, and there's a little bit of a break. They always talk about the way that they do that is it's like a beat every ten or fifteen pages, which amounts to every ten, fifteen minutes. <laughs> And it just kind of felt like there was no... I mean, it was like, first they're doing this, and then they immediately jump into a new set piece, and then they jump into something else, and there's no real way to basically get our bearings and go, okay, so what are we doing here? Yeah, I guess so. They they did have to keep rescuing the girl, though. So, I mean, back in the bordello, she gets kidnapped again. Do you think that... that so that doesn't make sense, right? So it's not the immortal master that commanded the thugs to kidnap her the first time. They were just kidnapping a girl to work in their brothel. Yeah, a a green-eyed girl is worth a lot of money, I guess. And that's the thing, like, a green-eyed girl is worth a lot of money to who? To to Chinese businessmen who are populating the the bordello? Is it it a common thing that Westerners think that a a green-eyed Chinese girl is more preferable i i don't know yeah having never been to a brothel myself um i don't know the answer to that (laughs) right yeah i don't really i i don't know but i guess that makes more sense is that she gets kidnapped by sort of the other sort of the other supernatural gang in town which was also a little weird because um they caused a lot of shit in that alley the first during the first fight scene like they broke half the store windows and well, I mean, cause I mean, talk about causing a lot of shit. They ripped that bordello apart. Oh yeah, they did. They ripped the whole roof off. That's right. He comes in. He he smashes in, and they rip the roof off. Mm-hmm. 
And there's, you know, there's like a small town in the bordello that has to basically flee. <laughs> right. Every door opens and every and from every door comes like a half naked man and woman screaming. Yes. Like like this was like a <laughs> 70s uh, Benny Hill or something. Yeah. And that and that brings me back to to we had our we had our prologue sequence at the beginning of the movie where uh, um, the older man wasn't his father no it was the uh, the, the tour guide the guy giving the oh tour. yeah egg right yeah egg egg Shin. yeah he was Victor he, Wong he was the best he was probably maybe my favorite character Victor Wong is good at everything he was in Tremors was he in um Gremlins. No, I don't think he would. No, he wasn't in Gremlins. He was in uh, another uh, another John Carpenter movie, Prince of Darkness. Uh-huh. He was in. Uh, he he's a mainstay of the Three Ninjas series. Oh, I remember those, <laughs> sort of. Yeah, they were they they were they were a lot of fun for me. This is a side note. I mean, this is totally has nothing to do with the conversation at hand. But Victor Wong, he's a Chinese American actor, right? Yeah. He plays in the Three Ninjas series, and this is Three Ninjas, Three Ninjas Kickback, Three Ninjas Knuckle Up, and Three Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain. <laughs> oh, man. And in all three of those, he's playing a Japanese grandfather. What? Why? Because ninjas are Japanese? I, I guess so. Well, technically, yes. Isn't that true? Yes. Ninjutsu? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. All right, so he was just the right actor for the job. I guess so, but doesn't that just seem like racially and culturally kind of creepy? Um, I don't know. It's all film. You know, you got a good actor, and you as- you assume your audience doesn't care or doesn't know any better. So let's. I mean, uh, we could we could spend the rest of this in analyzing the plot, but I don't. I guess the plot at this point doesn't really matter. It's all about getting the Wang Chi's girlfriend back. Mm-hmm. And you know the the plot is basically in service of that uh, that end. You want to talk about the the last thing? The last thing. What do you mean? The last thing in the movie, Kurt Russell hits the open road. <laughs> what? And he's oh, he's, and he's talking on the. He's back to doing his like CB radio show. Yeah, his uh, pre-internet podcast. I don't want to go straight to the end yet. There's all this like monster shit in the middle that I thought was a lot of fun. There's a, there's a lot of monster shit, and we could talk about that. Uh, I, I I will appreciate, as much as I'm not a huge fan of this movie, I very much appreciate the monster effects, the practical special effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that I feel is sorely lacking in today's cinema. Yeah. There's something something that makes me want to root for the movie even more when it's, you know, the monsters are so poorly done. What's the, uh, the thing, the... Uh, the digital is it the digital divide the uncanny valley yeah that's it the uncanny valley yeah yeah the uncanny valley because it's so easy to to figure out at this point when they're doing uh you know digital blood effects yeah well the 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 uncanny valley typically refers only to people and humans because that's when it rears its head like that's when people get most disturbed at watching a movie Right. The only thing is, is that uh, it comes into this because number one, they don't make that many like straight-up monster movies anymore, which is a crime in and of itself. But two, I mean, all of the digital effects that they use are centered around human motion. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, I guess I feel like it's very easy to tell when a human uh, has been altered digitally in a movie, which I think is related to the Uncanny Valley. Yeah. Um, and so... Like like that scene in um, Lord of the Rings when Legolas gets on the back of the horse. Exactly. It's like this bizarre... He like just suddenly gets whipped up there because they needed that shot. It's like uh, it's kind of like a, one of the pioneering... Uh, examples was when uh, uh, Forrest Gump, when they had Gary Sinise's legs digitally removed. And there's that scene where he falls out of his wheelchair and because his legs have been digitally removed, there's like this very bizarre motion because his legs are obviously hitting the ground, but they're not there. He pulls himself back up into I'm his to look that up. wheelchair and his legs aren't there, of course, but it looks so unnatural because the legs do exist. There's like this extension of it, right? I guess the parallel that I'm drawing to all of this is the practical special effects, you know, the rubber monster type stuff. Even though you know that it's fake, it always looks so much better because it's real. It's really there. Yeah, I don't. I, I wonder if that's it. Or for, for me, like, part of it is that when I see... Like, okay, so they're, they're trudging through some sewer. And, uh... And out of nowhere, this, like, huge ant monster thing pops out of a side vent and just eats someone, sucks them in, and is gone. That's the entire monster for the whole movie. It's that, like, two seconds. And it, it looked ridiculous, and it, like, it looked like it slid out on a track and then came to a stop. And then they cut because, you know, they had to get the actor, like, positioned in the mouth of the thing and then pull it back in, right? But... For that split second, it it felt like for me, I I almost rooted for the movie. I was like, "Yeah, movie, you can do it. You can show me a crazy ant monster, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go along with it and believe it today because it, <laughs> it looks like you really tried hard for that." <laughs> so, and like, I'll, I'm so much more willing to go into that mindset when it's a real practical effect than when it's a digital effect. It's the difference between George Lucas with a a radio-controlled R2-D2 with Kenny Baker in it, actually out there filming with it, versus him sitting there in his chair in front of a green screen with a cup of coffee saying, ah, we could always just do a better R2-D2 ourselves. I had a few more tauntauns stomping around in the background. That was my George Lucas voice. That was good. That was good, George Lucas. I don't know where that came from. Now now say, uh, do it faster and louder. In, in In a George Lucas voice? The uh, the thing that uh, Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill have said was that during the filming of the original Star Wars, the only direction that Lucas would give them was faster and more intense. You know, they did yell a lot in some of those action sequences. Because yelling is drama! <laughs> that makes it exciting. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I liked I liked the big orange furry monster that didn't move its mouth ever. I liked the... Um, I like the big ant monster thing that came out of the wall. I don't know. Those those are good. I liked those. What I'm picking up out of all this from the two of us is we liked the monster stuff and we liked the uh, the set pieces, but when we had to get into the actual plot that propels the movie along, we were just kind of bored and uninterested. Yeah, I didn't really care what happened <laughs> to the characters. That can work sometimes. Like... Evil Dead 2, that it works a lot in that. That's just basically one gore set piece of practical effects after another on a flimsy plot. 
but it works so much better rather than trying to cram in this ridiculous... Yeah, so by the end, I did kind of care about Wang Chi. Like, I wanted him to succeed, but I also wanted him to get hurt, like, a little bit. <laughs> Does that... Like, he's too cocky. He, he They're like, okay, so they're riding down in some elevator, right? They're going to have the final standoff and interrupt the wedding, and, and they'll drink the super potion that makes them strong. Well, not Kurt Russell. He drinks the thing, but he be, still is an idiot. But Wang Chi, like, suddenly can do amazing kung fu. And there's some pretty fun fight scenes. I really enjoyed those. But he's so cocky, like, half the time I was like, yeah, kick his ass. And the other half was like, you need to get hit just once so you back off a little bit and respect that you're not all that. Tom Savini, the uh, special effects wizard, always talked about effects were magic tricks and you needed to show off, like, you needed to show off the danger of the weapon so like if you're using a a rubber knife mm -hmm. in the in the murder scene you first use a real knife and have it like take a chunk out of the wall or something to give it some danger risk yeah exactly yeah. so when when the, the rubber knife goes in it, you know your mind's already thinking okay i just saw the knife you know take a huge piece out of something else so i know that there's danger in this and it's the same thing with a fight scene if you got someone who's suddenly really really good and is not and is like almost invincible yeah. then there's no danger in us and we they have no reason to root for him yeah so there was there was there was that which was all right but i did like i did like um sort of the fights and the standoffs between like him and the the sword the sword guy cuz they kept flying through the air at each other which was pretty funny what did you think of the eyeball floating eyeball monster Floating eyeball monster was the best part of the movie. <laughs> and then it gets stabbed in the face. I think I'm I think I'm on record as saying that more movies need eyeball monsters. Oh yeah? I could see that. If not an eyeball monster, then say a flying eyeball, but that's just me. Hey, side note, the the eyeball monster, did he or did he not kind of look like the chaos orb from Magic the Gathering? Do you remember the oh, Chaos Orb? Let me... I do kind of. Was it an eyeball? Oh, it was like... It like it looked like Krang. Right, it looked like a, a big circular version of Krang from Ninja Turtles. Just a floating brain. Yeah, I liked that. That was pretty fun. He looks almost a little sad. <laughs> Just found a photo. Found a picture online. He's a little sad. I mean, it's not a great life. You gotta, well, no. like, float around looking for your master you don't even get to look around for yourself and i mean you're you've got an eyeball in your mouth right yeah so how great could your life be with an extra eyeball inside your mouth right you just see all the food you eat right i hate it when people eat with their mouths open and now this guy's just stuck with that all the time <laughs> where does the food go <laughs> there must be like a whole digestive system back in there somewhere probably full of eyeballs too you know, I, I bet that he, his body, well, body, I mean his huge mound, whatever it is, basically works at 100% efficiency, so he never has to, like, you know, purge anything. Right. If there ever was an anus, it's got an eyeball in it now. That's so. right. <laughs> it's like, what else would be in there? Right. Not an ear. It's not an ear monster. <laughs> All right, so uh, would you, Aaron, would you recommend it? Um, 
I'd, I'd say watch it with a group of friends when you don't really have to pay attention to it. Because it, it is a fun movie, and there, there are parts of it where you'd sit down and you'd be like, oh, he kicked that guy while flying through the air, and that was really fun. But most of it doesn't make any sense if you want to like watch it for the story, I guess. And I didn't really care about the characters. So, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it for like an afternoon movie when you're going to be mostly talking to each other or making fun of it or doing other stuff. So you would save this for a mystery science theater type situation? Yeah, it would be pretty good for that. It would be great if, if you had everybody in the room all yelling at the screen. It would be great to, to get a bunch of people together for a midnight showing at a theater of this and just get really, really tanked before. <laughs> yeah. And show up and, and just make sure everybody knows that you find this... You find the whole circumstances of this movie to be rather interesting. It could be it could be a lot of fun seen that way. If you'd never seen it before and you enjoy any kind of monsters or practical effects or anything like that, it's worth it's worth checking out. What do you think? I think I I agree with you. I I would have to be in the right frame of mind to watch this and the right frame of mind would probably be with people who would appreciate it for what it is. I don't think I'd ever own this movie. You know me, I've got an affinity for the uh, so-bad-it's-good type movie. Mm -hmm. I can't see myself like watching this and enjoying this by myself. Yeah, it's it's hard to... I, I, don't, identify, I don't identify with this movie no, so no. much. And, I, and it's not even a thing where I have to identify with movies that I watch. But there's usually, there's some redeeming aspect to it that will make you come back to it and laugh. Like, you know, you know me in Maximum Overdrive, right? Yeah. What, why? What about it? I just, there's so many ridiculous uh, attacks in that movie. Uh, I, I, I can sit and watch that a hundred times and laugh at the same. <laughs> this time around, there's just, there's not enough, not enough keeping me around, even though some of the set pieces are pretty fun. Yeah, maybe more more floating eyeballs. More floating eyeballs. Uh, uh, maybe a little bit less on the the trying really hard uh, uh, on the uh, martial arts performances. Give give Kurt Russell a chance. But I did. If there's ever a sequel, and there should be, because they hinted at that. Give that poor guy a chance to. Film. Oh, the ending tag. Oh. <laughs> That was that was the most obvious and unnecessary ending tag in the world since well it comes later but not since like Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> yeah, you don't think you don't think I don't know I was trying to think what would happen after after the so the 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 orange monster is hanging onto the truck right right as he's driving away so here's here's what plays out is he'll 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 drive for like six more hours because that's what truck drivers do this monster will be fucking exhausted he'll like pull into some truck stop and immediately head in to the bathroom and the monster will like terrorize some poor people at a truck stop diner but not really because you just kick it in the balls <laughs> so I, I don't it just doesn't yeah. sound like the right kind of sequel to me it's, it's no like... it's not it's not anymore but, but but i don't know who's left oh yeah we didn't talk about um okay so i did see part of this movie once there was a video on youtube about the greatest movie deaths and one of them was that guy who explodes <laughs> when he gets he gets so mad that he inflates and just blows up right um so like he's dead even though nobody killed him he just did it to himself yeah there's no there's no sequel except for that orange monster and maybe the sewer ant thing 
Unless, unless you want to go back to see what Wang is doing with his uh, new life, right? What Wang Chi is up to with his green-eyed, green-eyed girlfriend? Yeah, well, his green-eyed wife at this point. His green-eyed wife. But I mean, like, I think everybody would be kind of disappointed. It'd have to be a Kurt Russell movie because that's what the whole prologue is about, right? The whole yeah. prologue is Egg telling. By the way, he's talking to Deep Throat from the X Files. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Oh man! Oh, okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, there's a, a significant chunk of this podcast in the future is going to be me making uh, various cultural references, both fairly mainstream and somewhat uh, obscure. And I have a feeling that I'm going to have to explain a, a large chunk of these to uh, to Aaron here. Yeah. No, I have a lot of gaps in my uh, <laughs> my movie history and TV lore and. You see, while while I was boning up on all this unnecessary pop culture, Aaron was uh, learning a, a skilled trade in computers and having a life of climbing. So right, and look look where it got me. I know. I I think we can say which one of us is the uh, the richer man here. <laughs> so, final thoughts. The verdict, eh, kind the of like verdict? a half. You know, like a thumbs up, thumbs down, thumb half. Yeah. I think a yeah. thumb half on this one. Thumb half, yeah. Thumb half. We need different categories of uh, of how to rate. I don't know what what are, are we picking our rating scale? We're probably yeah, not we should, a rating uh, scale right we now. We could do is we could say uh, you know, see it, buy it, or mystery science theater it. <laughs> That's not bad. We can refine that. Yeah. Work with that later too. I like that. I'd say this is yeah, this is like an MST3K movie. It's it's probably a lot harder to talk about good movies. For a long period of time. Yeah. Well, I liked this shot. It was very well composed. Well, you know, the script was, was really simply fantastic. I hope it wins uh, an Oscar. Yeah, no complaints, really. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this inaugural episode of Brand X. Thank you for listening. Uh, Aaron, any uh, thoughts on next for the next mm. movie? Yeah, I meant to, uh, to do some research and pick something, but alas, I completely forgot. I'm putting you in the hot seat. What are you choosing? I don't know, man. I'm going to have to to think about that. And uh, how about I come up with like three or four things we can figure it out. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the inaugural episode of Brand X. We don't have a movie for next week or whenever we're going to upload the next one, but we will, and we will be back. Yeah. So this is Scott. And this is Aaron. And we're signing off. Have a great night. That was a lot of fun. Thanks, Scott. Thank you, Aaron. (laughs) 